Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Course. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my daily podcast that goes out with my email newsletter via the Kaka on Substack to paying subscribers. Today I want to talk about a momentous event in our political economy that happened yesterday. Grant Robertson, the Finance Minister, reappointed Adrian Orr as the Reserve Bank Governor for a full second year term yesterday. He said this was a unanimous recommendation from the board of the Reserve Bank and he wanted to ensure stability for the bank, which had undergone many changes, he said. Immediately after, the opposition, the National Party leader Christopher Luxon and the finance spokeswoman Nicola Willis came out and said they were shocked and appalled at the reappointment of Adrian Orr. Now you may think if you've been covering or trying to understand politics here and overseas for a few years that an opposition politician saying they're shocked and appalled at something a government has just done is just par for the course. It's normal roused about uh, he said she said politics. Well, that's not the case when it comes to the Reserve Bank. For 33 years, New Zealand has had at least perceptions of Reserve Bank independence. And there's been an unwritten rule that both the government and the opposition don't personally attack or target or question their confidence in the Reserve Bank governor or in the Reserve Bank. They could criticise some of the policies or the targets but to come out and say they were shocked and appalled that a person had been reappointed as governor is off the charts different. And you can see the details of uh, what was said in the text of the email that goes with this podcast. And I'm going to play you now the full five minute exchange that I and other members of the press gallery had with Nicola Willis and Christopher Luxon yesterday in Parliament to give you a sense of how upset the opposition, opposition is and what was at stake. So to start, here's Jane Patterson, the RNZ political editor, asking Christopher Luxon about the reappointment of Adrian Orr. response to the reappointment of Adrian Orr as Reserve Bank Governor, and do you have any concerns about the process? Uh, we're quite shocked by it, to be honest with you, because our view has been very clear, and Nicola expressed that, I thought, incredibly well in her letter to, to Grant Robertson, saying, hey, listen, uh, we think it's appropriate that you follow convention, which would be appoint him for a year, uh, and so we can get through the election period of time. But what they're saying very clearly here is they're not going to do anything about bank profits because what they've said is they're appointing Adrian Orr before there's any independent inquiry into the effectiveness and the, and the impact of those actions from the Reserve well, so Bank. The reserve, the and as a result, they're not going to deal with bank profits. The Reserve profits. Bank Governor said last week that they were expecting a review from his comments. It sounded like it's going to be you know, relatively positive or justifying the response. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Do you think that that's enough to justify his reappointment? It's utterly hypocritical of Jacinda Ardern and Grant Robertson not to have an independent review of the Reserve Bank and monetary policy actions that have contributed and led to large bank profits. You know, they have actually marking their own homework at this would point. That's what that's what the Reserve Bank. Would you replace him? Would you replace him in government? 
what Nicola and I have said very clearly is that we want to see an independent review. We would kick that off immediately in government to make sure that we uh, we want to get to the bottom of actually what, what, what actually is position be? Because stability and certainty is really important, as we've seen in this arena. So what would your intention be, taking over as government, towards the actual position of the Reserve Bank Governor at the time, pending well, a review? Well, our review, our, our, our position's really clearly. From day one, we want to kick off an independent review of monetary policy action under this Reserve Bank Governor. That would then determine whether we do or don't have confidence in him going forward. But it could take some time. Uh, well, it's important that we get it right because the lessons need to be learned really clearly as to what happened. You can't go print $60 billion worth of money. You can't go spend an extra $52 billion worth of government spending in a constrained economy with, no, you know, with low immigration settings and actually cause it. No, look, I think, I think the financial system would want us to do that. I think it's entirely appropriate that we actually go back and we understand uh, what has actually contributed to a rising cost of living crisis. And a big part of that, we believe, and we want to understand is the impact of those monetary But aren't you, endanger, aren't you endangering the perceptions of independence that the Reserve Bank um, needs to operate? Well, what I'd say to you is I don't think what Grant Robertson has done today in appointing a Reserve Bank Governor for a period of five years when the convention was well established under Bill English that you extend someone for a year and then let a new government decide about whether they have confidence or not have confidence in that Reserve Bank Governor. Was the National Party consulted on this? Concerns that you've raised with the minister. Maybe. Sorry, I said you just didn't come to Inflation has been outside the Reserve Bank's mandate for more than a year. It's at a 32 year high. We had 28% house price increases in a year, and now we have the banks making record profits. When New Zealanders are suffering from a cost of living crisis, they expect some accountability. We think the government should answer questions about whether the Reserve Bank got its decision making right. Mm. It is not sufficient for the bank to mark its own homework and handpick people to say they've done a good job. We think questions should be asked and answered. This is about accountability for a situation that is very difficult for many New Zealanders today. Would so you be able to that the government can pull though. What are the options that you would consider if you were finance minister? If I was Finance Minister, I would immediately inquire into the impact monetary policy decision-making has had. How much has that money printing added to the bottom line for banks? How much have they benefited from really cheap lending? And how much of that is being passed on? That would be my step one. Do you, think, do, you think the, do you think the Reserve Bank should stop its cheap lending to the banks, which is still ongoing? Just last week, $400 million went to a bank. Well, it's extraordinary. The funding for lending program means that banks are still accessing really cheap cash. And I think New Zealanders who are paying very high interest rates or are worried about paying very high interest rates uh, would be right to ask, is that the right thing to be doing? And, and the banks... the risk, though, of um, politicising the position of the Reserve Bank Governor, of, of breaching that independence that is supposed to be there between the government and the central bank? Well, we've been very conscious of our responsibilities here. That's why for months we've been telegraphing our concerns by saying, please do an independent review. We've got questions. New Zealanders have questions. Please so get them answered properly. In that review that's due out this week. No, we don't. That is, the bank has handpicked its own people to do that. Uh, it's been done by staff at the Reserve Bank. How fair is it to say to staff at the Reserve Bank, hey, did your boss do a good job? Yeah. Of course they're going to have to say yes 
But they, they, have, they have appointed two international experts. Yes, but they handpicked those experts. It's a bit like saying to someone, look, you mark your own homework and then pick your favourite teacher to tell you whether or not you've done a good job. And we think a more robust approach is necessary. There's been extraordinary decision-making mm. in the past couple of years. Mm. The Reserve Bank printed tens of billions of dollars had a lending program that made money virtually free for the commercial banks. Mm. And all we're saying is, don't you think you should take a look at whether the right decisions have been made here? And Grant Robertson's answer is, nope, I'm perfectly happy. Well, he may be perfectly happy with a cost of living crisis, massive unsustainable house price inflation, and record profit making by the banks, but we're not, and we want an independent review. So, so would, your, would your independent review include looking at some sort of clawback or windfall profits tax for the banks? who have benefited from subsidised lending, money printing and the removal of LVRs. The independent review should explicitly look at how these decisions added to profits for the commercial banks and whether or not that was passed on to New Zealanders. If the people who benefited from this money printing are simply the shareholders in the commercial banks, then New Zealanders deserve to know that. And the only way we'll get an answer to that question is with a genuine, thorough, independent inquiry that the government won't endorse that makes them complicit in this situation. What's wrong with um, having healthy, profitable banks? Well, healthy, profitable banks are good if New Zealanders are being charged fair fees and if they can be confident uh, that they are not paying too much interest on their loans. Well, there we have it. That was Nicola Willis, the National Finance Spokesperson, talking about bank profits by the by. Just to go back again on why it's significant that we've seen such a breach of this bipartisan rule on not criticising the Reserve Bank, it's worth taking a look at the history and the reason why we have the current Reserve Bank Act. I'm going to take you back firstly to July 1984. For those people who weren't alive, that was the time when Sir Robert Muldoon was the Prime Minister and, coincidentally, also the Finance Minister. He ran the entire economy as if it was his. That meant he set interest rates, he actually set the currencies level, we didn't have a floating currency, and the New Zealand economy was not very diversified uh, and quite a different place. Back then, the finance minister uh, essentially ordered levels of interest rates, levels of monetary policy, fiscal policy, and the economy, people in business, financial markets had to know exactly what was in the mind of the finance minister. And it was quite rare, actually, in fact, the only time I can recall when the finance minister and the prime minister were the, per were the same person. And because of the way New Zealand politics and the government works, at that point at least, with a first-past-the-post system of government, there was incredible concentrated power in the hands of one person, that being Robert Muldoon. Since then, uh, we've made some various changes to the way governments operate and of course the introduction of MMP and some uh, bits of legislation around uh, human rights uh, that have made it harder for a 
dictator, elected dictator, if you like, to do all that, uh, but um, it's still technically possible. So, just imagine uh, July the 14th, the night of the Saturday night of 1984, and Robert Muldoon had been absolutely smashed in an election, and Labour, under David Longy with Roger Douglas, were about to come in and become the new government. What no one knew, really, although it had been speculated in some parts of the financial markets, was that there was intense downward pressure on the fixed exchange rate that the New Zealand dollar had with the US dollar at that time. And that, in effect, New Zealand was broke and there was enormous pressure to sell New Zealand dollars and move them into US dollars at the existing exchange rate. The Reserve Bank and the Treasury knew this and approached Robert Muldoon on the Sunday after the election and said that he needed to devalue the currency immediately before any handover of power. Muldoon refused to do this and in fact wanted David Lange, the incoming Prime Minister, to agree to a joint statement saying that the government would not devalue the currency. The reason, of course, that he didn't want to devalue the currency is that you do that, it makes it much harder to repay your foreign debt, which the New Zealand government had a lot of at the time. And of course, effectively makes your consumers poorer when they're considering buying imports. At that point, it was quite difficult to buy imports anyway. So, Sunday, Robert Muldoon wanted David Longy to agree to a joint statement. Longy suspected this, uh, but didn't want to be dragged into a joint statement with Sir Robert Muldoon and refused to talk to him and uh, eventually told him, told officials no. Now the officials were scared to talk to Muldoon and in the end uh, they decided to shut the financial markets, the currency trading, on the Monday after the election because they knew it would be carnage if it opened up without any sort of clarity or uh, decision on what to do with the currency. So um, the, the markets were closed on the Monday. It was impossible to buy US dollars. Uh, this was tolerated for a bit, but it could only really happen for one day. On Tuesday morning, the markets opened and there was a run on the New Zealand dollar. So anyone who had a New Zealand dollar immediately tried to shift it out into US dollars to avoid the devaluation that everyone knew was coming. At that point on the Tuesday, it was not clear who was running the country and who was in charge of the economy. This is incredibly damaging and it's widely seen as our last true constitutional crisis. So, uh, eventually by the Wednesday, uh, the then Governor of the Reserve Bank, uh, Spencer Russell, and his deputy, Roderick Dean, approached members behind the scenes of Robert Muldoon's cabinet to beg them to essentially tell Muldoon to stop trying to control the economy. And uh, they effectively staged uh, a coup uh, to push Muldoon to allow the devaluation and to allow the uh, shift to the new government. And that eventually happened. That shocked New Zealand to the core in such a way that over the following years there was a bipartisan agreement that that should never happen again. And the one way to ensure that was to have a, an independent reserve bank 
which was in charge of running monetary policy with the aim of keeping inflation between a certain level. Originally, it was going to be zero to 2%. And that the core aim of the central bank with bipartisan support was to get inflation down from, at that point, various points in the previous decade or two, inflation had been at double digit rates. And over the following few years, it also uh, kept up at double digit rates. And eventually, uh, after uh, a devaluation and eventually the floating of the New Zealand dollar, and then the passing of the Reserve Bank Act in 1989, we eventually got an inflation targeting independent central bank. Within a few years, it settled on a single monetary policy tool, which became the official cash rate. There was this weird time for a while when they had this uh, dual uh, interest rate and exchange rate policy. Uh, good, fun times. Um, and, and now we have the official cash rate. And the idea was that uh, it was a bipartisan agreement to let the Reserve Bank set monetary policy with the aim of keeping inflation eventually between a target band of 1% to 3%. And neither of the main parties, National or Labour, criticised personally or in any institutional sense the Reserve Bank. So, fast forward to the beginning of 2020, when Adrian Orr, who was Labour's appointment uh, and had not been criticised at that stage by the opposition, Adrian Orr and Grant Robertson responded to the COVID lockdowns by agreeing to slash the official cash rate to 0.25% and to create what the Reserve Bank called the Large Scale Asset Programme, which is in effect a programme of what others know as quantitative easing and also described as money printing, where in essence the central bank creates money and goes into financial markets and buys government bonds to push down longer term interest rates. The aim here was to lower mortgage rates and to encourage banks to go out there and lend into the New Zealand economy. And because we have a housing market with bits, with bits tacked on rather than economy, that meant lending into the mortgage market to try to buffer the New Zealand economy, which at that point people were worried were going, was going into not just a recession, but some sort of depression. There was talk of 30% unemployment and it was throw the kitchen sink at it. Uh, for those who can't remember, <laughs> it was a, it feels like a long time ago, but it's not that long ago. And for those who can imagine and remember the intensity of that period in late March of 2020, you can see why the Reserve Bank and the government threw everything at it. However, um, over the next couple of months, the Reserve Bank not only increased the size of its quantitative easing program uh, to $100 billion, it kept printing heavily and it uh, introduced by the end of 2020 a funding for lending program of subsidised loans at near 0% interest rates to banks to uh, pump a more mortgage debt out into the economy. It also in April of 2020 uh, suspended the LVR rules that had been put in place by the previous governor plus one, uh, Graham Wheeler, in 2013. It's worth mentioning the LVRs because in my view, uh, this was the uh, original sin of the Reserve Bank in 2020. This was the exception 
the Reserve Bank printed money just like many other central banks. You could argue that it printed too much and went on for too long. Uh, I certainly think it was right to print in those first few weeks of COVID when the bond markets had frozen up and there was real concern about the financial system. That's what you want a reserve bank to do, to act as the lender of last resort and to stabilise financial systems that aren't necessarily insolvent but are illiquid. So, uh, uh, but the difference was the reserve bank removed the LVRs completely, which gave the banks a green light to pump enormous amounts of money into the housing market. Uh, in total, more than $40 billion in 18 months. That pushed up house prices by 45% in 18 months. And that's, <clears throat> that's because we didn't have enough housing supply and because there are embedded tax advantages for leveraged investment in residential zoned land. We knew about those things. We knew there was a housing shortage. We knew that the, the, there were tax advantages that would encourage this. And the Reserve Bank deliberately uh, uh, created a wealth effect to um, support the New Zealand economy. But what that meant was that the Reserve Bank was no longer just an independent arbiter of monetary policy that wasn't making, in effect, social or distributional decisions by choosing to use quantitative easing and the wealth effect in combination with removing the LVRs, the Reserve Bank and the government chose to make homeowners, who are the, by, by and large the main owners of all assets, to make them much richer to save the economy. And in effect, because the gain was so much, 45%, it made homeowners in New Zealand, and there's about 60% of the population live in their own homes, it made them $1 trillion richer. So the Reserve Bank stopped being an independent arbiter of monetary policy. And because these decisions, the quantitative easing, the LVRs removal, the funding for lending program, were in effect joint decisions between the Reserve Bank governor and the finance minister they were no longer the decisions of an independent reserve bank. That's probably appropriate because the reserve bank had very little choice once it's cut the official cash rate to naught and couldn't go any further, but to do these other extraordinary things. But it should have done them with a very open view about whether or not they would work and if they weren't working to stop them to also to be open and humble about the effects of this on the economy and on society. However, what we saw once the money printing had finished or was stopped, and to give the Reserve Bank credit, it stopped earlier than the rest, and once interest rates started rising it, and the dust had settled, it was time to have a look at what worked and what didn't, where in the mad rush of kitchen sinking mistakes were made and to make sure they weren't again and to actually have an, a true, honest, frank conversation about the role of a reserve bank and the meaning of independence in an era when central banks, their only tools are to use the wealth effect to support the economy. Uh, in my view, it should be the reserve bank and the government should have looked for other tools
to stimulate the economy that would have not had the same effect of widening inequality. I've spoken before about the use of uh, digital currencies and helicopter money to ensure that uh, money was sent to those people who were spending it rather than saving it and that the effect was more on consumption and production rather than wealth. However, um, you can see how these things happened in the heat of the moment. But once the heat of the moment had passed, it was clear by mid-2021 that uh, uh, the crisis was over and that uh, the stimulation had been too much. The Reserve Bank and the government should have been much franker and more honest with the broad public and the opposition and had a proper reassessment of the role of the Reserve Bank and whether independence was appropriate anymore. So uh, instead, we had the issuance of research papers which said that inequality had not widened because of quantitative easing. Laughable. Um, the excuses were a joke, I have to say. This is the Reserve Bank and the Treasury and the Finance Minister and the Reserve Bank Governor all said that they had no regrets and that they didn't think that their actions had created inequality or changed the wealth structure of our economy when it clearly had. The real problem came for the Reserve Bank and the government when inflation, which up until mid-2021 didn't appear to be a problem, suddenly became a problem in early 2022 and is now obviously up to over 7%. That of course um, triggered all sorts of grief and pain and uh, complications and uh, opposition noise. And by uh, uh, by about June, July of this year, the opposition were really unhappy. There had been murmurings of this late in 2021, uh, when uh, the previous opposition leader, Simon Bridges, suggested he didn't want Adrian or reappointed. And, um, but it really kicked off when uh, Christopher Luxon decided with Nicola Willis to call for an a truly independent monetary policy inquiry to see what the Reserve Bank and the government had done wrong and what not to do again and whether or not it, the structure and the various other uh, tools the Reserve Bank had should change. The Reserve Bank refused that request and so did the government. The Reserve Bank instead uh, um, decided to use its statutorily uh, required five-year review and another review of monetary policy to be a stand-in for this independent review. Other countries haven't done it like this. Australia, for example, the new Labour government in Australia has launched a truly independent review of the way monetary policy was operated by the Reserve Bank of Australia during COVID. That has not happened here. Now the Reserve Bank would say, and they're going to release on Thursday, a, um, their own review of how they did monetary policy including a couple of uh, peer reviews by non-reserve bankers. Warwick McKibben, a um, former member of a monetary policy setting committee in Australia. He's an Australian academic and by the way his partner is actually on the independent review 
Police Reserve Bank of Australia. Not that that, not that, that matters for him. And secondly, a, the former Deputy Governor of the Bank of Canada is giving a, a review. And we'll see what they say tomorrow. But no one expects them to be harshly critical of the Reserve Bank. And uh, we'll find out more about that. Now, as you heard in the um, clips uh, earlier in the podcast, Nicola Willis um, does not see the Reserve Bank's own review as credible. And uh, now we're in a position where if National Act win next November, they would, in effect, have a Reserve Bank governor they don't have confidence in, would have to uh, force through a, a new independent uh, monetary policy inquiry and in theory after that um, kick him out or um, he could jump uh, beforehand. A really ugly situation for the Reserve Bank which never wants to be in a position where the Reserve Bank Governor and the Finance Minister are on completely different and opposing courses creating uncertainty and alarm in financial markets and the economy more broadly. To give you an idea of how this can go badly wrong, uh, just a few weeks ago, the then new British Prime Minister Liz Truss decided to launch a very expansionary fiscal policy with unfunded tax cuts, which the markets didn't like that much. And this was in direct opposition to the Bank of England's attempts to tighten fiscal policy by increasing interest rates. The combination saw, in effect, a financial crisis develop in Britain almost overnight, which the, which the Bank of England, which uh, is still in theory independent, had to intervene with a fresh bout of money printing to stabilise matters. But basically said, we'll stop this in two weeks, uh, and so you better organise yourselves now and get liquid. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, government of Liz Trust ploughed on and didn't plan to change. In effect, at the end of those that two weeks, when the Bank of England said, right, you're on your own now, um, we're just going to let the chips fall, that forced the uh, Conservative Party to get rid of Liz Truss. To the point where last week, the Bank of England's um, Governor Andrew Bailey had to publicly say that he had not engineered a coup. That's how bad it could get. And obviously, for us, and for those who remember 1984, July 1984, that's also how bad it could get. This is not a great situation. And we're now, uh, unfortunately, in a situation where if there is a change of government, Adrian Orr would be expected to resign immediately, or um, we're going to have a really uncomfortable few months where a process goes through and the Reserve Bank Governor is harassed out of office or forced out of office in some mechanical way. If something goes wrong in the middle of that, there's some sort of financial crisis or issue with a bank or something, um, that is very dangerous. We don't want that. In my view, I don't think it's possible for a Reserve Bank to be truly independent in the way that we originally envisaged it. Once interest rates, rates get down to zero and you're using prudential policy to try to influence a particular market or a risk like the housing market, the way that New Zealand's structured its economy as a housing market with bits tacked on, and the way that the, um, the terms of the Reserve Bank governor and the government are different. So the Reserve Bank has five years, the government has three years. So you're going to get these awkward 
uh, crossover moments where you have a government with a reserve bank governor they didn't necessarily pick and may not love. And uh, what's normally happened is that the reserve bank governor is uncontroversial and is adopted by the next party. Now we saw that in uh, 2008 when Alan Bollard, uh, who had been appointed by a Labour government, was reappointed by a national government. Uh, when Graham Wheeler replaced uh, Adrian Bollard, uh, uh, Alan Bollard, uh, and he was a national choice, he effectively wasn't reappointed for a second term because he introduced LVRs uh, and this had not been appreciated by the national government who had also blocked his attempts to bring in debt-to-income multiples. So um, this has been building for a while, this um, changing nature of central banking to being more interventionist and, uh, uh, and being, in effect, an arm of social policy and distributional policy by accident, that it can no longer remain independent in the way that we imagine it. Um, for a start, I think we need to fix this um, messy overlap of differing term lengths, the five-year, three-year thing. Maybe you move to central banks, governors only having three years or maybe six years with term limits. Um, whatever it is, we need to acknowledge that the age of central banking independence in Aotearoa is over. It ended on November the 8th, 2022 in my view. I'm Bernard Hickey, that was the dawn chorus for November the 9th, 2022. Ka kite anō.